The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Worthy is the Lamb. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the book of Acts. Very easy to find. Just go to the Gospel of John and go right, or go to Romans and go left. You'll come to Acts either way. But uh, we're going to be finishing the story of Easter, from Easter to eternity. And I want you to know today, God has got everything under control. Uh, We don't need to worry about a thing. Uh, God is in control, and he will take care of his people. And he has an agenda for us to follow. And we're told that agenda here in Acts chapter 1. So when you find Acts 1, would you join me in standing, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's word. And this is the word of the living God. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, after Easter, Jesus stayed on the earth, as the book of Acts tells us, for 40 days. In fact, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that at that time, over 500 people saw him and gave testimony to the fact that Jesus was alive. He had been resurrected. Now, in the Old Testament, the word of two witnesses was accepted. What does it mean that over 500 people saw Jesus alive? It means that Jesus had 250 times the number of witnesses needed to prove that something was true. And so he stayed on the earth 40 days, 500 people at least saw him, and now his time on earth is through. He has walked in a resurrected body for 40 days on the earth, and he told the disciples, uh, you stay here in Jerusalem. And wonder of wonders, for the first time, the disciples actually did what he said. Uh, They must have been Baptists because a lot of times he would say, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to do. But they got this. He said, stay in Jerusalem until you have power from on high. And so after Jesus ascended, there was 10 days uh, before the Spirit came down. You say, how do you know that? Well, in chapter 2, we read about the coming of the Spirit. It was on the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost was 
the day after the seventh Sabbath from Easter. Seven times seven, both of those are perfect numbers, and that's 49, and you add one because it was not on a Sabbath day, it was on a Sunday, and that's the birth of the church at what we know as Pentecost. So God had all this worked out. You say, preacher, why are you explaining this to us? Well, did you get what, what Jesus said? He said, don't worry about the times appointed by your father. I, I know John Hagee's written a book on the four blood moons. Well, this is not the first book he's written on that. He wrote a book several years ago about, about the blood moons. And, and the blood moons have been a, a factor for many, many years. But what Jesus is saying, don't worry about the times. You be ready. And that's the message to the church. It doesn't matter when Jesus can come. In fact, I don't know of any reason why we could not hear a trumpet today and the shout of an archangel and those of us who are alive will be changed because the dead in Christ will have preceded us out of the graves and been given a resurrected body and we'll meet them in the clouds. And the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We don't need to worry about the dates and the times. That's up to God. That's what Jesus told the disciples. But he did tell them what the church is to do from Easter to eternity. I love what Dr. Jerry Vine said. He said, the history of the church is similar to the life on earth of its Lord. Betrayed, spit upon, tested by popularity, and even killed in part. But the church also is resurrected and ascended in its master and intercessor. And victory awaits our great reunion day. There is a great reunion day coming. Praise the Lord. Now, it's very simple to follow the, the, the book of Acts here in the first 11 verses. And it moves around Jesus. Notice the Bible says, Jesus went up. In fact, verse 9 says, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So the first thing that happened after Jesus told them not to worry about the dates and the times and the seasons is Jesus went up. And I want you to notice three things. First of all, he ascended visibly. He ascended visibly as they were watching. These people had witnessed his resurrection. Now they were witnessing his ascension from earth. And I want to tell you two things about the ascension. From earth, he was leaving. But guess what? To heaven, he was going home. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus said, I go to my father. And they were worried because he was leaving. But in heaven, there was going to be a grand reception that day. And people saw Jesus leaving. He ascended visibly. Not only did he ascend visibly, he ascended victoriously. Psalm 68, 18 says, you ascended to the heights, taking away captives. This also was quoted by Paul in Ephesians 4, 8. Now, what captives did Jesus take away? Well, the first thing he took away was death because death no more has a sting for Christians. Now, we don't like it when our loved ones die, but I do know this. It's still a fact of life that if you're born, you will die. I mean, the only two people that have escaped death were Enoch and Elijah, and God gave us those two examples so we know there'd be a rapture because Enoch and Elijah were taken into heaven by God in a supernatural way. But everybody else that has been born on earth has died, and that's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. Uh, when I was a very young preacher, I didn't think I'd ever get old. I thought Jesus was going to come. I mean, I had read all these prophetic books, and I knew the next item on the prophetic timetable was the rapture of the church, and I really didn't think I'd get old. Well, I was wrong. But guess what? I wasn't the only one. Billy Graham said the same thing. 
He said he thought when he was a young preacher, he'd be raptured. And now he's 95 years old. And uh, he, he said that uh, he was prepared to go by death or rapture, but he wasn't prepared to live so long. And so that's a, a message to those of us who are getting older. If God doesn't come in the, if Jesus doesn't come in the rapture or we don't die, we better be prepared to live. But he carried death, hell, and the grave away as captives. No longer do they have dominion over the saints of God. Beloved, if you have been born twice, you only die once. But if you've been born once, you're going to die twice. If you're not born again and you die without being born again, you will die physically and then you will die spiritually for all eternity. And what a tragedy when Jesus paid the cost for your sins on the cross. But he ascended victoriously. And then lastly, he ascended virtuously. Hebrews 9 tells us one of the reasons why he ascended. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Now what does that mean? It means that when he ascended, he didn't go to heaven just to sit on a throne and be worshipped by all the angels in heaven. Do you know why he went to heaven? He went to heaven because his work on earth was done. And like the priest in the tabernacle or in the temple, when his work was done, he left the Holy of Holies. And he couldn't go back in the Holy of Holies for another year. And when he went in, he had to carry blood or he would die. But when Jesus entered the holy place in heaven, he came back not as sin but as the Savior from sin. And because he entered that holy place, he sits at the right hand of God. And the Bible tells what he's doing. He's making intercession for us. Right now, Jesus is praying for us. Right now, Jesus is praying for those who have needs. There are people in this room who are carrying a burden today. Some of them I know about. Many of them I don't know about. But I want to tell you this. Even if the preacher doesn't know your burden, Jesus knows your burden. You're never alone. He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. And he said, I'm at the right hand of God ever interceding for you. I have good news, child of God. In this world, you may feel forsaken, but that's only feelings. Because Jesus said, I'll never leave you. He is in heaven. But because he went up, the Holy Spirit came down. I like that. He went up and the Holy Spirit came down. He said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he told us while he was on earth why the Spirit was going to come down. First of all, the Spirit came down to reveal the Savior. In his prayer before he was crucified, he prayed, he will testify about me. Now, who's the he? The Holy Spirit. Don't call the Holy Spirit it. Call the Holy Spirit He. He is a person, like God the Father is a person, and Jesus the Son is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. You know, years ago, when people had babies, they would always put a pink blanket on a little girl and a blue blanket on a little boy. And then somebody got the wise idea, well, let's just put a yellow blanket on them all. And I would go into the hospital and, and to be honest with you, I've been having senior moments for a long time. And I would forget what that little baby was. I couldn't remember if it was a girl or a boy. And I didn't want to pray a blessing on her if it was a him. And I didn't want to pray a blessing on him if it was a her. And I certainly didn't want to say, Lord, this sure is a sweet little baby. Bless it. 
Somebody would have said, don't you call my baby it. It's a boy, it's a girl. Listen, folks, the Holy Spirit is a person, and it's a masculine person. He, just like Jesus, is a person. The Holy Spirit came to reveal the same. By the way, the Holy Spirit never glorifies himself. The Holy Spirit did not come to glorify himself. He came to glorify Jesus. He came to reveal the Savior, but he also came to redeem the sinner. In that same prayer in John, he said, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me. I can tell you how you got saved, if you're saved. Here's how you got saved. The Holy Spirit began to convict your heart. Now, you may have been a little child. We were talking about that the other day. And Mary was saying, I don't remember. I don't remember how I came to be saved. I know I went and talked to the pastor, and I know I was saved. Well, I said, I can tell you how you were saved. You started talking to your mom and daddy about maybe wanting to be baptized. And your mom and daddy said, we're going to take her to the preacher. So they took her to the preacher, and the preacher shared the gospel with her, and she was saved. Now, whenever boys and girls start talking about, I want to be baptized, you know, that, that is the children's way to pronounce baptism. I want to be baptized. I don't know why they pronounce it that way, but they do. And, and when they start talking about, I want to be baptized, they're really saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus. And that's when we need to sit down with them and lovingly talk to them. Now, here's the key. When you sit down with them, you ask them this very simple question. Do you ever do anything wrong? And if they're under conviction, you know what they'll say? They'll say yes. I remember years ago, a lady brought me a little boy, three years old. And she said, preacher, I think he needs to be baptized. And I said, three years old? She said, yeah. And I said, well, let's just see about that. And I said, son, do you ever do anything wrong? And he looked at me and smiled. He said, no, preacher, I never do anything wrong. And I looked at his mama and I said, he's not ready. And she said, how do you know? I said, he doesn't know what sin is. He thinks he's, he's innocent. He's not lying. He, in his mind, he's innocent. He is still under innocence. And she said, well, what did I do? I said, just do what you've been doing. Pray for him and listen to what he says. About two years later, she brought him back. She said, preacher, I think he's ready now. I said, all right, let me ask you, son. I'll ask you the same thing I asked you a couple years ago. Do you ever do wrong? You know what that little fellow said? He said, yes, sir. He said, I do wrong. I said, you know what the Bible calls that? He said, yes, sir, it's sin. And guess what happened to that little bell fellow? He asked Jesus to come in his heart. You see, how did he get convicted? He went out of innocence into accountability. And by the way, there is no set age of accountability. I've talked to kids 10 years old that weren't convicted of their sins. I've talked to children five years old that were convicted of their sins. There is no right age. Dr. W.A. Criswell years ago said he would not baptize somebody unless they were 12 years old. And I was out there at the School of the Prophets one time, and I said, Dr. Criswell, why won't you baptize somebody unless they're 12 years old? And he said, as only Dr. Criswell could say, why, son, don't you know that until they're 12, they haven't been able to be saved because if you were a Jew, you couldn't do your bar mitzvah until you were 12 years old. And so you say, what did you say to Dr. Criswell? I said what any preacher boy would have said, Dr. Criswell. Yes, sir, Dr. Criswell. But I went back to my church and I thought, you know, there's, that, that's not right. That's not biblical. I love Dr. Criswell. 
And I respect him, but I, I don't think that's right. And guess what happened? A few years later, his grandson got saved. And guess how old his grandson was? Eight. And guess who changed their doctrine about you had to be 12 to get baptized? Dr. W.A. Christopher. Now, here's the point. The Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction. If you weren't convicted by the Holy Spirit, then you've not been saved. You might have felt guilty about your sins, but there's a difference between being guilty of sin and being convicted of your sin. And only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction of sin. He came to redeem the sinner. But I love this. The Spirit came to remain in the saints. I love what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, don't you know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Let me remind you young people today that if you're saved, you don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to your mama and daddy. Now, they're your parents. You need to respect them and love them and obey them. But I want to tell you this. When you get saved, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. When he gives you his spirit to live within you, you belong to him. And adults, we need to understand that. He didn't just send the Spirit so we can get happy every now and then. He sent the Spirit so we'd know right from wrong. He sent the Spirit so we could find his will for our lives. He sent the Spirit so he could control us. The times in my life I have been most ashamed of myself was when I was in control and not the Holy Spirit. Now that's happened fewer and fewer as I've gotten older. But it can still happen like that. The Holy Spirit came to remain in us. In the Old Testament, you know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit? It says the Holy Spirit came upon people. But when Jesus died and the church waited for the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit came down, the Holy Spirit came to reside in people. And I hope today you know that you know that you're saved. Because the Spirit of God lives in you. Jesus went up. The Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost. And then the church went out. And they didn't just go out where they felt like they ought to go out. They went out under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He said, that's why the Holy Spirit's coming upon you. Not so you can jump up and down and, and holler and hoop and be glad you've got the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has you. The Holy Spirit came down to tell you what you need to do. And Jesus gave us words to follow. He said, first of all, start in Jerusalem. Start at home. Now, I know, I know there are some people who are not happy that we're not going somewhere for the summer mission trip. Well, the, the truth is we're going somewhere. We're going to Pelham and Helena and Alabaster. And do you think it's any surprise to God that a few weeks ago we had floods and there are people all over Pelham who are hurting. There are people all over Shelby County who don't have insurance. And I want to tell you, you need to drive around and see how pitiful some of these folks are. They've got their things out in the sun when the sun is out. And guess what's going to happen tomorrow? Rain is going to come. And it's going to rain Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And if the creek backs up, the creek will be in those same houses it was in a few weeks ago. And huh, First Baptist Pelham has said, we're going to stay in Pelham and Helene and Alabaster and Hoover and, and Montevallo. We're going to stay here. We're going to work in, in, in our field, in our Jerusalem this year. Folks, you can't improve on what God said to do. He said, start where you are. This is our Jerusalem, and we're following a biblical mandate. We have to start where we are. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to stop there. But this year, we're going to focus on this community. We're going to focus on winning souls at block parties in this community. 
We're going to focus on ministering in Jesus' name in this community. Because Jesus said, start in Jerusalem. And then he said, go to all Judea. That's move out to the next area. That's the state of Alabama. We've done that before. And then Samaria, out to the USA. That's what we normally do in the summer mission trip. We go outside the state of Alabama, usually. But anywhere we go in Jesus' name, and we feel led by the power of God there, we're on God's mission. And then lastly, to the ends of the earth. I'm glad. I'm glad we have a, a witness in Mwanza, Tanzania. I'm glad we have boys over there who don't have a home, who are going to have a home because of some folks from our church and going over there and setting up a, a mission program there to reach these boys that don't have anywhere to call home. And the purpose is not just to give them a house to live in. It's to give them a house to live in where they can hear about Jesus, be saved, and then be trained to be disciples and to make disciples. We need to go to the end of the earth. Well, Sam's back there. He's going to the ends of the earth several times this year. You see, there, that's great. But we have to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I hope that you understand that's not Brother Mike's plan. That's God's plan. I'm not smart enough to come up with that, but God is. So the Lord went up, the Spirit came down, the church went out, but here's the best part. Even as he was about to ascend, he said, don't worry about the times and the seasons. Listen, I'm not on the date-setting committee for when Jesus comes, but I'm chairman of the welcoming committee. I mean, nobody will be happier to see Jesus when he comes again. You say, why do you say that? How many times have I stood at a graveside and I said these words, we commit the body of this saint to the grave, but we do so in the sure and steadfast hope of the resurrection. And I really love the King James here. Y'all have to excuse me because I'm old and that was the only version we had when I grew up. I, I love what the King James says. It says, this same Jesus will return in like manner. Now, how did he go up? And by the way, do you know what this teaches us? This teaches us where heaven is. You say, where's heaven? It's up. You say, how do you know it's up? Because Jesus went up and he went to heaven. You say, well, what if you were in Australia? Well, it's still up. You say, how can it be up in Australia when Australia is down under? Well, you let the geographers worry about that, all right? Just up is up. And guess what I found out this week? The Hubble telescope that lets us see farther into space than we've ever been able to see has come to the end of the universe. And you know what they found at the end of the universe? Another universe. Is that surprising? You say, well, what does that mean? Guess what? Look at the Hubble telescope picture of this other universe. You know what you'll see through the Hubble telescope? You will see a cross. Now, who do you suppose put that there? Oh, it just happened, preacher. You need to go be locked in a rubber room if you think that just happened. I'm serious. My goodness. You say, well, preacher, it's been there all along. Yeah, it's been there all along. We couldn't see it, though, but now we can see it. And there's a cross there. You know, in your heart, there's a cross. If that cross ever gets broken, guess what? You're broken, too. God has put signs in the heaven and in our bodies that there's an eternity. And Jesus went up and he was taken up in a cloud. Now remember, it said he's going to come in the same manner. 
How was he taken up? In a cloud. Can you read that? In a cloud. Do y'all see that? He was taken up in a cloud. Well, guess what? When he comes back, the first time he comes, he's not coming to earth. He's coming in a cloud. He's doing exactly what the Bible said he was going to do. You say, you're getting awful fired up for an old man. I am fired up. There's more truth in the word of God we can ever get out of it. The older I get, the more convinced I am that we'll never get everything out of the word of God that God's put there for us. But boy, what a joy it is to mine this treasure. Jesus went up in the clouds and they couldn't see him. <laughs> and when he went up in the clouds, the disciples said, well, he said to stay here in Jerusalem. We're just going to stand here look up into heaven. And finally, two, people, two men in white apparel, they were probably angels, said, why do y'all stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus will return in like manner as you've seen him go up. What does that mean? It means that the first time he comes, he's not coming back to earth. He's going to do what he did. He went up in a cloud. The first, next time he comes, he's coming in the clouds for the rapture of the church. And not everybody will see him then. Only those who are saved. Those who are dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. Those of us that are alive will be changed in a twinkling of an eye and will be caught up together in the clouds with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We'll be taken back to glory up for seven years while God pours out his wrath on this earth. You say, how do you know that? It's the last book in the Bible. The entire last book in the Bible tells us what's going to happen during the tribulation. In fact, the Bible says if those days weren't shortened, nobody would be alive here on the earth for the second part of his coming. You say, well, well what's the second part of his coming? Well, I got long-winded. You have to go over two panels now. I'm sorry. I just got fired up. But he's going to come in the clouds, but then he is going to come in conquest. Jude tells us what Enoch preached in Jude 14 and 15. And Enoch who was the seventh from Adam. Get that? He was the seventh generation from Adam. He said, look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all. I was in Jerusalem right after the new year. And we came on a bus and we were coming up from the Dead Sea and we got close to the Mount of Olives and the bus driver put a CD in the... In the uh, CD player, and it was John Starnes. And John Starnes started singing the Holy City. And now we're on the backside of the Mount of Olives in this bus. And so we're coming up the backside of the Mount of Olives and that beautiful old song, last night I lay a-sleeping, I had a dream so fair, I stood in old Jerusalem beside the temple there. And as the chorus to that song came on, we topped the Mount of Olives, and we saw Jerusalem. And the first thing you see when you see Jerusalem is that golden dome on the mosque that occupies the Temple Mount. But we were worshiping, man, we were having a spell in that bus, and we saw that mosque on the Temple Mount, and then we saw the Eastern Gate, the beautiful gate, and we saw where the Muslims who control the Temple Mount, have sealed up the Eastern Gate. You know why they sealed up the Eastern Gate? Muslims believe that when Messiah comes, he's going to enter Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. And boy, those Muslims said, <laughs> we got him. 
We sealed up the eastern gate. He can't get in. <laughs> That's what they think. What happened when Jesus ascended? He went all the way to heaven. What's going to happen when he comes in conquest? He's coming all the way back to earth. His feet, and I believe this with all my heart, his feet are going to put, be put exactly where they were in Acts chapter 1. And when he comes down, everybody in the world will see him. And he's going to say, I've not come like I did the first time to save. I've come as a sovereign. And he's going to walk through that eastern gate. You say, you sure of that? I'm positive of that. Why? Because the Bible says he has to reign on the throne of his father David for a thousand years. I believe that's literal. And I believe that for a thousand years on earth, we will have life on earth as God intended for it to be. There'll be no sin. There'll be no heartache. There'll be no pain. There'll be no illness. And get, get this. We come back with him, we get to reign with him. Revelation said, you've made us kings and priests. We'll reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years under King Jesus. What a glorious time that's going to be. But listen, it's only going to happen to those who are saved. For those of us who are saved, we reign with him. For those who are lost, they're going to be judged by him. And everybody's going to be in one of those two crowds. There's no third crowd. You're either saved or you're lost. If you're born again, you're born twice and you only die once. But if you're not born again, you've been born once, but when you die, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, and then you're going to die spiritually for all eternity. You say, preacher, are you trying to scare us? No, I'm just telling you what God's Word says. Now, if you're not saved, it ought to scare you. In fact, I'll tell you how bad I'd be scared if I wasn't saved. I wouldn't go out that door. If I had to crawl down to the altar on my hands and knees before I left here today, I would know absolutely positively that I was saved. You say, you think we can know? Oh, the Bible says over and over and over again, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. I was talking to a fellow the other day. And he said, well, my church teaches that you can't know until you die. Now, I was nice to him, and I said it in a nice way. I said, well, does what your church, church teach square with the Bible? And he said, I don't know. That's just what my church teaches. Listen, friend, I've been pastor of this church, soon will be 35 years. I have never wanted to stand in this pulpit and tell you what I thought. When I stand in the pulpit, when I come down here to talk to you, I want you to know that what I'm saying comes from the Word of God. And it's by His authority and in the power of His Spirit that I proclaim it to you. And I promise you that God's Word says you can know absolutely, positively, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that you don't have to wait until you die to, to know if you're going to go to heaven. You can know right now 
here's the way you know. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And Paul of that verse always asks a question. Of course, always asks, are you washed in the blood? You know, a long time ago, an old singer named J.R. Blakeney taught me to sing it this way. Oh, I'm washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. All my garments are spotless, they're as white as snow, for I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you've been washed in the blood, you can know absolutely, positively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Do you have that knowledge today? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've not left us to where we don't know what's going to happen, that you've given us a sure word of prophecy, that this same Jesus, the one who died on the cross, the one who was buried and rose three days later, the one who ministered for 40 days on earth after his resurrection and then ascended to the Father, this same Jesus is going to come in the clouds and then in conquest. And Father, it could be today. We don't need to worry about the times. We just need to worry about being ready. And Father, I pray if there are lost people here that they would not leave this building today without giving their heart to Jesus. I pray if there are people here who've been saved but they've not yet been baptized, I pray they would be compelled because Jesus said for us after we discipled people to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, help us to do what we need to do today to be ready when Jesus comes again. For his sake I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our hymn invitation. Hymn 488. Hymn number 488. I'm going to ask the staff to come down here. Brother Don, Brother Paul's here this morning. Any other staff member here? Would you come down and stand at the front? As we sing, I'm going to ask you to come right now. Don't put it off. Don't delay. You come right now. We appreciate the opportunity to stand before you this morning. The search committee is composed of eight individuals. And I wanted to, again, read those to remind everyone. But Robert Plummer, Aaron Corum, Stephanie Pope, Jordan Trotman, Jackie Spann, Brad Benton is our deacon rep, and Brother Paul Moore is our staff representative. We thank each person that's on this committee for what they've done at this point, but also what they will be doing. The search committee started several months ago, and we started with a time of prayer that lasted about 30 days. At the end of that period, we began to receive resumes, and we have received upwards, well, actually in excess of 50 resumes. And of those 50 resumes, you'd be surprised how many good preachers we've got out here today. But the committee can only recommend one. We will do that at the proper time. We have reduced that number appreciably. And again, when it's time and when God tells us this is the person that I want there, then you will know it just as quickly as we know who that person will be. We do solicit and request that you continue to pray for the committee as a group because, y'all, that's what makes things work is prayer. 
And we thank you for allowing us to serve in the capacity that we're making an effort to. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.